The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Tuesday, Gary, how are you? Hello. There I am. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't on. Yeah. We had problems with that switch yesterday. Yeah, hopefully, we did. Hopefully, we're not having problems today. But uh, there you go. We're on and ready to go. We are off to the races. All right. So um, let's just go to what I believe are the the two audio cuts of the day that you have to hear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's number one from Corrine Jean Pierre. Right. Asked about uh, reporter asking what uh, Biden's level of concern right now. Uh, is uh, with the potential rise of anti-Semitism. Level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. If you want to see where the anti-Semitism is inside the White House, there it is right there. Right there. Their, their official yep. position. Hey, there's no evidence of anti-Semitism. Well, the thing is, they're talking about, I don't know what she's talking about, threats. Right. The, you know, whether you talk about, you know, uh, you saw, I'm sure the, the whole, uh, you know, Barry Weiss thing that, mm. you know, that uh, her uh, media outlet, uh, you heard about the anti-Semitism graffiti yeah. uh, that yeah. was outside of, uh, of their offices right. that was uh, uh, vandalized. We also know that there have been uh, Jewish people that have been attacked in the United States. Mm-hmm. We know that. So uh, you look at that, but the fact that she goes to... And and by the way, the facts, the the facts from uh, from law enforcement do not back up what she says. Right. Even though uh, you do have the official statistics show that one percent of the population is Muslim, and uh, they uh, they get ten percent of the ten uh, percent of the um, of uh, of hate crimes are against Muslim. You have 2% of the population that's Jewish. 
with 51% of hate crimes out there. But just not sticking on the topic is the message that is sent to the terrorists around the world. You know, you look at everything that has gone on here. You know, yesterday, the uh, the uh, Border Patrol uh, sounding the alarm on on Hamas and Hezbollah fighters potentially using the southern border to enter the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the Wall Street Journal uh, had uh, an editorial yesterday about the missiles that are being fired right now at United States interests, not our friends, but at United States troops around the world Mm -hmm. and uh uh, i think it was beginning of october as they mention uh because of the uh because of the you know the 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 deals of the administration and uh you know with iran iran was allowed to be shipping you know to have missiles and to you know get access to missiles and they're being shot when you look at and they're being shot at american at americans now right and right. and so that's why you have, you know, yesterday, what do you mean we may go to what do you mean we may go to war? Where'd this come from? How's the United States entering this war? Mm. Because now Iran and its proxies are targeting United States interests. Mm-hmm. And that's where the fighting might begin. But you have the southern border that is open, the border patrol, the memo sounding the alarm, saying Hamas and Hezbollah could be crossing the southern border right now. This this is what they they actually do. When you look at the fact of the president the other day saying we need billions of dollars to send to Israel as the president is the one that opened the door to billions of dollars in cash by, you know, that went to Iran, which then goes to fund their proxies against Israel and the United States to arm them. Mm -hmm. So the president is responsible for changing U.S. policy that is actually in federal law, Mm -hmm. as has been pointed out over the last couple of weeks by conservative outlets. The liberals are staying away from it completely because the administration's been trying to separate that Hamas and Hezbollah, by not mentioning Iran, that Iran, that uh, Hamas and Hezbollah operate independent of Iran. Right. That, oh, no, no, that we're going to talk about how bad Hamas is and Hezbollah, but Iran, what are you talking about? Well, no, I'm not going to take any questions because mm-hmm. that will be the first question that will be asked, so I'm not going to take questions on it. Right, yeah, and and we don't see any evidence of anti-Semitism. There's no, we don't see any evidence of a threat. Yeah. What you saw yesterday was, again, that line dividing the radicals from everybody else. And those radicals are very much in place in the White House. Well, I mean, just 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 uh, the the other day, I believe it would have been on, I believe it was Monday or Sunday, uh, a Jewish man was violently assaulted by a mob mm-hmm. of pro-Palestinian uh, supporters uh, at a Skokie protest yesterday. Right. Interesting, because... I go back long enough. I remember the Nazi protest in Skokie. Remember that? Yeah. A long time ago? Yeah. And 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 so to sit there and and pretend that anti-Semitism, you know, isn't a problem that the president should address and to immediately go to Islamophobia 
instead mm-hmm. of addressing the question shows you if you want to know where it is, what message they're sending out. And that anti-Semitism is alive and well inside the White House. You have Corrine Jean-Pierre as the the uh, the the first piece of evidence. Right. Yesterday, because that was just amazing. That just blew people away. It's like, my God, you know, what the hell is, is, is going on? Because the answer should have been, as always, we are working to assess any and all threats. We will not tolerate anti-Semitism or any bigotry at any time. But certainly we are aware right now that things are at a heightened state. So rest assured that this president is well aware of the situation and we are monitoring and assessing any and all threats and don't tolerate any bigotry or hatred. And we will prosecute to the fullest extent anyone who is responsible. That will not be accepted in our society. Nope. That's not what she said. And then the other thing that should be heard, because we said probably within two weeks you would see the 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 movement for a a a ceasefire mm-hmm. and so over the last couple of days you know the what's been you know being bandied around is uh and this was a question asked to biden as he was walking away yesterday of yeah. course and he actually did answer this question mm-hmm. and the question is is the u.s supporting the hostages for ceasefire deal all right all which right. is an absolute no that should be no mm-hmm. no the hostages should be released and Israel needs to do whatever they can to protect themselves. That's not the answer you got from Biden. No. There, there it is right there. We should, is the U.S. supporting the hostages for ceasefire deal? Quote, we should have a ceasefire. Oh, not a ceasefire. We should have those hostages release, and then we can talk. No, 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 absolutely no. not. No, should be the message coming from the White House. Now, we knew this was going to happen, mm-hmm. but you see mm-hmm. the insanity of this administration right now yeah. asking the American public for billions of dollars to support Israel in their fight against Hamas and Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, U.S. policy that that is not following federal law on the oil embargo over the last three years, almost three years, has made it so Iran is flush with cash. That money has gone to Hamas and Hezbollah to attack the United, to, excuse me, to attack Israel, and now, even according to the administration, attacking U.S. troops and U.S. interests mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah. And so we're spending billions. He wants billions of dollars to fight the problem that he caused. Yep. And can stop. And continues. He can, he can change all of this and still has, not, has decided not to do that. He's not going to change it. If he was going to change it, we would have seen that by now. I mean, you just shake your head saying, what the hell is ha- what the hell has happened to the United States and the people of the United States to begin with and the media of the United States to look at this and say, this is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Yeah. 
But this is what a significant portion of the voting public is in agreement with. Yep. Everyone should be outraged at this right yeah. now. And Everyone you, I, should I, be outraged. The political pressure should have been so massive. The what the hell are we doing signal should have been heard loud and clear at the White House, and everything should be very different by now and should have been from the beginning, and it's not. Because too many people still support this president, and he still supports Iran and allows them to make billions of dollars on the oil markets and fund Hezbollah and Hamas and other terrorist organizations and we're not going to change a thing. And then while U.S. hostages are still uh, being held as American interests uh, are, are being and, and, uh, and, and troops, they're attempting to attack with missile strikes and everything else. The president's on a beach. He's on a the beach. Weekend. You know, this is unbelievable. The, this is our enemies and our allies in this situation have a full read on this room on who this president is. They know him. They know. Our enemy knows. He's weak. And quite unfortunately, our ally, Israel, also knows that. They know. They're on their own. That it's going to take... If you're sitting back, if you're if you're Netanyahu, if you're any of the leaders in Israel right now. You're looking at this situation saying, if if this doesn't build political pressure, if they haven't built it by now, they're not coming. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to change anything, which, again, we don't even have to send troops in. The first thing is you can choke Iran out. The embargo is part of the law. Enforce it. Didn't happen. He's taking vacation. Sorry, he can't be bothered right now. With uh, this is a really interesting Noah Rothman National Review with conspicuous synchronicity. uh, U.S. based mainstream media outlets are uh, retailing the thinking within Joe Biden's inner circle that has led them to pressure Israel and delaying for as long as possible a ground invasion into the of the Gaza Strip. It's not just about Israel or Hamas, the New York Times report. American officials want more time to prepare for attacks on U.S. interests in the region from Iraq-backed, Iran-backed groups, which have been funded because of United States policy, yeah. which officials said are likely to intensify once Israel moves forces fully into Gaza. Axios reveals that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's fears regarding the prospect of a significant escalation of attacks on our troops and our people that could follow an Israeli incursion into Gaza is an expression of the concern inside Biden's cabinet about the likelihood that efforts to deter Iran have shown few signs of bearing fruit. Well, what the hell do you expect? It's not. I mean, nothing is, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going in any different direction. Because, again, if we haven't built that political pressure by now, if there hasn't been the, enough outrage by now to have him change his mind and choke them out, you could stop this funding to Iran in a heartbeat. By the way, 
and you tell the world, we set the terms, even on the $6 billion, we tell Cutter, the blood is on your hands. Oh. You choose a side. You're with Hamas or you're with the U.S. And here we go. All told, the press is painting a portrait that portrays as superficial the assurances the White House has provided Israel in support of its right to self-defense. To the contrary, the White House is gravely concerned about the consequences that will accompany that support, maybe more so uh, than a, a, about those that would follow uh, is, is Israeli to the perpetual threat of genocidal terrorism. Mm. It could all veer off the rails really quickly, one unnamed administration official told Axios about the situation in the Middle East. The whole region could be in conflict, but a broader conflict may not be as inevitable as the administration appears to believe. Indeed, it may have already begun. In the weeks since the October 7th massacre in Israel, Iran's terrorist proxies and militia have committed a variety of attacks and provocations in the region targeting not just Israelis and uh, Israel's interests but America's too. Today the Iran-backed Islamic resistance in Iraq claim responsibility for an attack on the US occupied garrison near the Jordanian border. The attack follows a series of similar assaults with rockets and drones on the US uh, occupied base in western Iraq. Last week an outpost in southern Syria used by US forces to train local militias uh, tasked with containing elements of Islamic State, also came under attack by drones. And what they're saying is all this is funded by Iran. So much yeah. of the funding yeah. for all of these proxies is coming from Iran. Yeah. Right. That the that the president still will not stop the funding right. for Iran. They're selling oil every day. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't know what to say. I just... I wonder what, what if you ask the average American what they think about that or whether they even know that. Whether they even know that because of the president's behavior, he wants us to fund the fight against, uh, against the enemies of Israel in the United States, mm. while at the same time, he is the one, by what he did, by his actions of pumping billions of dollars into Iran that they can use, that their proxies can use to attack the United States and Israel. That's why we were against all of this, because we know that it can become a regional conflict. Yes. That's why we agreed right. with what Trump did. Right. Oh, I got to read the Barry Weiss thing where she said, you know, you know, Trump was right. Yeah. Trump was, she goes, Trump was right. And she wasn't in agreement with them back then. Right. And now she's looking at the reality of everything that's going on. We'll mm. get to that coming mm. up. 866-90-RED-EYE. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. This preventative maintenance tip is brought to you by Hotshot Secret, the country's number one fastest growing oil and additive company. If you've been driving a diesel any length of time, you know diesel fuel quality can be an issue. There are U.S. standards that diesel fuel is supposed to meet, like cetane number, lubricity, a.k.a. wear protection, deposit control. But oftentimes, the fuel at the pump falls short. Let's highlight diesel fuel's lubricity. Diesel fuel in the United States must have enough lubricity so the fuel does not produce a wear scar greater than 520 microns. Without the proper lubrication, you run the risk of fuel pump and injector failures. 
This is why a premium additive is needed to keep lubricity levels in spec, to keep the fuel system protected and avoid costly repairs and downtime. Add Hotshot Secret Everyday Diesel Treatment, a 6-in-1 fuel booster at every fill-up to keep your fuel's lubricity within specification of U.S. standards and the Engine Manufacturers Association's recommendation for lubricity to keep your fuel system protected. Learn more about the science behind diesel fuel and Hotshot Secret's Everyday Diesel Treatment at HotshotSecret.com. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Just uh, reading here, saw this uh, uh, yesterday on uh, on Twitter from Barry Weiss. Hmm. As a Democrat who has been left homeless, who is now definitely in the center, but probably leaning increasingly right, I am left yet again with an appreciation despite the messenger of the message of the Trump administration because what those guys did was pretty incredible in hindsight. So much of the work that happened in the Trump administration turns out to have been right. And that's what is so frustrating for me. The work on the border wall, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. Mm. Turned out it was right. Issuing long-term debt to refinance when rates were at zero, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. I would have a discussion uh, with uh, Barry about that because Trump had flip-flopped on that many times. Mm. Trump had advocated that we should borrow trillions of dollars when he was running. He didn't do it, but that's what he had promoted a particular time. 
uh, a structural peace in the Mideast. We didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. When are we going to stop shooting ourselves in the foot? And when are we going to actually see and take time to look past who is saying things and actually listen to them word for word? If it's clear that the last two weeks have been a wake-up call, the next question is, why? Part of the answer is the sheer depravity of Hamas's terrorism. That depravity has made the justification and celebration of their acts by those who police pronouns that much starker. The contradictions and moral bankruptcy of a worldview that spends years worrying about microaggressions and tone policing but can't decide what side it is on after the beheading of babies aren't exactly difficult to spot. To put it another way, when Black Lives Matter organizations are lionizing Islamic terrorists by posting a paraglider logo, logo, excuse me, you'd be a fool not to reassess things. The events of the last week have shattered the illusion that wokeness is about protecting victims and standing up for persecuted minorities. This ideology is and always has been about one thing that many of us have told you it is about for years, power. After the last two weeks, there can be no doubt about how these people will use any power they seize, they will seek to destroy in any way they can those who disagree. You know, that's, you know, when when you think about, you know, and we've talked about this before, when you think about Barry Weiss, when you think about Michael Schellenberger, when you think about, oh, who's the other gentleman? I can't think of his name. Uh, that were part of the Twitter files. I can't think of the other one. Yeah, the third one. Uh, Matt. Uh, uh, Matt uh, Taibbi. Taibbi, yeah. All liberals. Yeah. yeah. That have now reassessed right. everything. Right. Are other liberals reassessing it? Are indep- if, liber- if liberals like Barry Weiss, Matt Taibbi, and Michael Schellenberger are reassessing everything, are independents. Forget about Democrats. Right. Are independents. No. I think that's re- a good point. You know, reassessing uh, everything and not yeah. well, you know, I can vote this way or I can vote that way or I can vote this way and I or I can vote that way. Well, it's interesting because yesterday you touched on something, and at the end of the show, off the air, I said to you yesterday, you know, we're gonna we're probably gonna bring that up again. Often we'll have uh, topics that weave in and out of of uh, multiple programs, but you touched on something important. It's hard to know where uh, something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing what you said yesterday. It's it's really hard to know where or we don't maybe the rank and file Republican voter doesn't even know where they are or what they want. We we talk about the chaos with the GOP in the House and everything else. And that's that was the context of of that comment. And then, you know, you step back and, and quite often you and I look at this, especially about this time as we head into a primary season of a major election year you start seeing polls and everything shape up and, and everything else. But number one, we, we've been asking the question for years, how do you gauge, how do you properly poll the American people in in today's world? And it's getting harder and harder um, because I think there's so much um, lack of direction by a number of people. But it's so clear 
things are very clear. Barry Weiss points things out. Matt Taibbi, Schellenberger, they point things out in a very clear fashion that you can't debate. Now, my question would be, and and I think it's it's interesting to look at, you know, all right, forget the rank-and-file Democrats. Forget the liberals. Let's talk about the independents. Where are they right now? Because I, if you would have said maybe six months ago, uh, you know, personality matters, I would have said, oh, yeah, no, no doubt. You're, you can turn people off all day, every day. But we, you and I also always keep on the table the fact that, all right, there's no telling what's going to happen with the Biden administration, what, what, what missteps there might be between now and, and November of next year. There's no telling how bad it's going to get, and personality may not even be a part of it anymore, the consideration. With the independent, it tends to be that way. It, it has historically. But now do you measure it? Do the, does the independent measure it and say, okay, we need to, we need to look at, at the actions of a president or administration or party? And I'm, I'm not confident that the Republican Party, in fact, I've, le- I've lost more confidence in recent months that the Republican Party is getting their message across. So I'm not trying to say that that they're looking at the Republicans. The question is, how turned off are they by the Democrats and their chaotic, extreme agenda? And in the wake of, again, in the wake of the attack on Israel, there is a very clear, definitive line now between the radicals and everybody else in the world. How much of that is going to carry weight in a political decision and does it motivate them to go one direction or the other or does it motivate them to stay home and are we at the point of throw all the bums out that that are we in in one of those election seasons i don't know well and and you know barry weiss hit it exactly what we have said over and over again and we said this about trump doesn't matter whether i like trump or not Right. Never mattered when he was in office whether I liked him. Right. I'm not going to have a personal relationship with him. Right. I'm not going to be golfing with Trump. Right. Uh, I don't care whether he likes me or not, and he doesn't care whether I like him or not. Right. All I care about is where did he stand on the issues? You know, you and I have spoken about political idolatry. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how there is still some of that left for for Trump. Mm-hmm. And that would be where people, you know, will look and say, I like Trump because he did this. And then he would do the opposite. And they'd still, well, he must know better than I do. Well, right. no, he doesn't. No. You know, there are things that Trump said that were, you know, completely and totally idiotic. Doesn't mean he wasn't right on all the major issues. But there were things he said that were just absolutely at times, you know, just so frustrating to hear because, mm-hmm. you know, how independents might respond, uh, you know, respond to him. And I'll give you an example. When he was campaigning in 2016, one of the most idiotic financial things he ever said was that we should, you know, look to pay 50 cents and a dollar on our debt, and then we can get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Well, then it showed he clearly has no idea 
how the national debt worked. Mm-hmm. But when he got into when he got into office, I wish, you know, because this is one of the things that we dealt with last week. And it really did, you know, get some silence out of the one caller because the one caller was talking about Matt Gates was right and we need to get rid of McCarthy and everything else. And you guys don't understand what the fight is about mm-hmm. you know, because we're talk show hosts. And you know, since we're on a national level, then we must automatically be some kind of elitist. Mm-hmm. That's where somebody is judging us, not by what we say, but where our position is, which is just as bad as the Democrats looking and going, okay, you guys are about this because this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's the substance of our message. Is our message good? Is our message? Is it a lie? Is it the truth? Is it re, is it ridiculous? Uh, but when Trump, you know, uh, we wish that, you know, oh, let me get back to the, the one point here because I got a million thoughts in my head. But when the 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 the, uh, the caller was talking about the fact that, no, we McCarthy won't fight like Trump. We need somebody like uh, like Trump in there. Well, there were two points we brought up. Well, first off, the whole goal of a speaker right now is to communicate with independents to win the election in 2024. That's how I view it. Mm-hmm. It is not, I don't believe, a speaker to have the rage that I feel every day and be promoting that every single day. Uh, and the other point would, was the fact that we thought that, especially on when he'd get out in, in front of uh, the microphone, thought McCarthy was quite effective in a message, in a tone of a message, because I already agree with the Republicans, the Democrats are in, are insane on the issues, as we have pointed out day in and day out. It's absolute insanity from energy to inflation to uh, to government spending to the border mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to Iran. Mm-hmm. You name it. It's insane. Uh, but the other point that we brought up, you need somebody to fight like Trump. And, you know, he was talking about McCarthy, you know, was would only go for a continuing resolution and we needed to shut the government down, whatever. And we had to tell him, well, Trump never shut the government down and had the opportunity many times in every budget. He could have vetoed it and said, nope, we need to cut more. Yep. Part of the criticism of Trump uh, in in the first budget that he signed from conservatives was he shouldn't have signed it, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't cut. Right. And Trump said, well, the political reality is, that we have to go here and hopefully we can do better next year. Mm-hmm. I understood it. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that caller, who was a Republican, was demanding that McCarthy do something. And his who, who he was comparing it to was Trump when Trump didn't fight to cut the budget. Right. And and so, you know, you can't have it. There has to be, I think, consistency in people's thought. We all, I think most Republicans... Even that caller, after we was done, we said, look, we agree we agree with you where you want to go. It's how do you get there? And what you know, do you expect right. in terms of the behavior once they are in office or in that position? Right. And then we saw a couple of, there were a couple of weeks later, and Jim Jordan's offering something that McCarthy would have never offered. Right. Which, you know, which was the fact of doubling the, the salt deductions. Right. McCarthy would which have never would, offered that. Which would have motivated and it was for the uh the red districts in blue states the republicans in blue states which would have motivated of course the democratic party right in the house and he would have needed the cooperation the full cooperation of the democrats and would have had it and he knows that the, the point is 
It's not a conservative measure. Right. And and, so, and and so the building of the unicorn starts to fall apart immediately, as we said it always would. But the thing is, as we've looked at, because I don't care whether Trump likes me or I like him. i got nothing to do with it. I can sit there and go, he's the biggest idiot ever. Mm. But his policies are quite moderate, and I agree about 75 to 80 percent with him, which is most much greater than I agree with most Republican presidents. So, yeah, he got my vote twice. Mm-hmm. Because of that, mm-hmm. because I paid attention to the issues. That's what Barry Weiss is saying. Why can't Americans pay attention to the issue? Why is personality right. so important to them? It's a great question. Yep. Finally being asked by somebody who's a lifelong liberal. Right. Which yep. is progress in a way. But because it's about the messenger. It's not about the issue at all. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Interesting what the son of the Hamas founder said Mm. about the mainstream media here in the United States. Mm. Coming up here in just uh, a little bit. Uh, Will we have a speaker? All right. So uh, it's down to eight candidates. Those those candidates are Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., (laughs) Eric Trump, Melania Trump, Baron Trump. Ivanka Trump, nah, the she dropped out. Ivanka uh, dropped out. Spark, yeah, she's back in. Uh, 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 Sparky Trump, wh- which is the uh, the family pet, and and of course Rudy Giuliani. Those are your eight. <laughs> Uncle Rudy, as they call him. Uh, those are your eight. Uh, I you know, again. It, it just—it's like a game. It's like a TikTok challenge or something. Mm-hmm. It really is. How long can we go without a speaker? And how many people? It, really, it's about who gets the most vote. Not really even who can win. Wow, it's crazy. Top of the hour news is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on West.
now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. And uh, congrats, you got the one uh, team in the World Series, the Texas Rangers, that yeah. played just a stone's throw away from uh, us. I will tell you this, when I was on vacation with my brother, my brother was uh, came over, I watched the first full baseball game I watched all you know all year. Yeah. And it was the Rangers against Houston. And my brother and I just sat down and, you know, and it was really... This was back last week, mm-hmm. and so it was a, one of the games that was played in Houston. It was one of the close games, yeah. And I just i I didn't watch a baseball game. I didn't watch part of a baseball game the entire year, not one. And but I loved the playoffs, and it was great to watch. Yeah, you know. And I, you know, to me, base, you know, I'm glad the locals are all happy. But I just, I was amazed at just I like I always am the battle between the 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 pitcher and the uh, the batter, and mm. when there's tension in it, it's a great sport. But when it's game seventy two, don't care. Yeah, I just don't. I just mm. have no caring about it. It's like okay, the playoffs. Okay, I'll watch. Let's see if I can watch a game. And I've watched parts of other games that have uh, that have happened, but that was the first full game. Yeah, and I the game was over. My brother looked at me and he goes, "You know, when we were young, we used to run home." Even though we grew up when we grew up in Buffalo, they didn't have a, you know, major league team. But we would mm. run home to watch the playoff games that were on in the afternoon. Yeah, okay. You know, from school. Mm-hmm. And he said, "This reminds me of that." And I said, "Well, I know." We, I said, "When was the, what was the last baseball game you watched?" He said, "I can't remember." He goes, "But that was really, really enjoyable." And it, yeah, it, uh, yeah. I the I think the last one I watched all the way through was. Texas Rangers and the Orioles, I was at the park, the old park. And that was, I don't know how many years ago. And it's back when the company had a suite, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you're, yeah. you're talking about a long the, time ago. Yeah, you're talking about in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Or, no, no. It wasn't the 90s. No. Uh, it would have been later than that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was going to say after when it was, I think they opened in like 93, 94, something like that. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. I was in the old, 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 old stadium. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was I was in They their... move every four years for those. <laughs> they build a new stadium every four years. And, and the thing is, too, it was a big deal when they opened up the roof. It's like, yeah. it's 85 out. Mm-hmm. If it's 74 out mm-hmm. and there's a five-mile-an-hour wind, we don't open the roof. Right. I... <laughs> I never knew how. I mean, I never understood how the the players. I mean, because in at the old fields, oh, one hundred and ten degrees, and if there's no wind, oof. I'm thinking it was eighty five, the summer of eighty five, when I was working in Marshall, Texas, hmm. at a small radio station, and the news director said, "Let's go to a Rangers game," mm-hmm. and so we drive all the way there. And get there and sit in our seats. He says, let me go get some beers. Hmm. And it was like 96 out or 97. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Who 
why is anybody here? And he never comes back. And he was overweight, you know, he was overweight guy, whatever. And mm-hmm. he never came back. And all of a sudden a police, police officer, uh, are you Gary? Yeah. You need to come with me. He came with Don. I went, yeah. And he got heat exhaustion. Oh, wow. So we mm. basically, they iced him down. He, they didn't send him to the hospital. We went right down to the car and drove back. Never saw yeah. any of the game. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did see, I think like the first inning, first couple of innings. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, no, nah, it was, uh, it's cool now, I guess, uh, game seven for the Phillies and Arizona Diamondbacks. So, all right, but, uh, I may watch a, I may watch a game or two actually for me, for, for my, like, especially with football, mm-hmm. it's uh, really good this year because my team is stinking up a lot and uh, oh. I only saw now you can turn your attention to baseball. <laughs> well, well, no, no, the, the, the best part is, I mean, I, I, cause I don't, you know, I dropped the NFL Sunday ticket years ago. Right. So I don't have any of that. So I've only, I saw one game and it was against Miami where the Bills killed them. And then apparently they've stunk up. Even the game they won against the Giants, they stunk up. Mm. And now every single game is later in prime time until New Year's. So, oh, so yeah. I can't even be tempted to watch because I'll be sleeping. It's like, yeah. Yay. I don't need to see the stinkiness. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the closest I've got to a game is, uh, walking to uh, like a restaurant that had a game on and looking up at the screen. And that was it. I, this season, I, I don't, I just don't watch. I don't watch anything on live TV anymore. I don't watch much. Yeah. You know, that was uh, trying to think any, you know, I will watch golf, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, just the majors. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I really, I really, I, you know, I'm glad I actually had that experience of watching a baseball game with my brother, you know, my big screen and the surround sound is just excellent. I mean, yeah. you can, yeah, <laughs> sure. They, I, I did watch, Oh, it was buddy was it this year. There was a, the game on and I just turned it on for a second mm. and they, you know, when you have the 5.1 surround sound, it means they, they've got a ton of microphones around it. Right. They actually, had the microphones placed wrong because on my surround sound, the pitcher would throw the ball, the catcher would catch it, you go boom, and then you'd hear a second later, boom. So it was like boom, boom, hitting the glove. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, they've got something screwed up there. Yeah. <laughs> but I was happy because, I, I, as I've said, I really have, and, and maybe a lot of it, you know, started with Kaepernick. I don't think that's it, you know, with that whole thing where I wasn't watching for a long, long time. But I just, something... Something just changed in me where sports is not as important as it used to be, and it used to be I was addicted. I mean, I had everything. Mm-hmm. I had the hockey channels, the football channels, all the sports channels. I, you know, was watching, you know, all, all the analysis and everything else, and it's all, it's like, you know, I don't care. So I was happy that I was actually able to watch it some sporting event and go, Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was cool to watch. I'm always excited. Like you said earlier, I'm always excited for the fans of any team that does well, especially locally. That's, that's great. Great for the Rangers, you know, growing up down in San Antonio and Del Rio was always about the Astros when it came to baseball, it was the Cowboys, but it was also, but in baseball, it was the Astros for most everyone. I don't remember in Del Rio, I don't remember anyone being a, you know, a Rangers fan. I don't remember that. I don't remember. It was all about the Astros. 
And so I, you know, it's it's cool to see uh, that a team does good. It I love for baseball fans in general that a series goes seven games. That's what you pay yeah. for. That's what yeah. you want, you know. Um, but you know, I I thought about it on the on the broader scope while we were out last week, and I had a lot of time to because I was just laying around trying to get healthy again. Uh, of what you know, things what we're watching, and my wife and I were were who was also sick at the time, and we were cruising through trying to find a movie to watch. Uh, we settled on the new Mission Impossible, which was pretty good. But man, two hours and forty six minutes long. Oh. Are you kidding me? That's I mean, it's a good thing I had COVID. <laughs> Because otherwise, I wouldn't be laying around for that long in one stretch. I'd, I would have watched that movie likely in three parts. That's usually the way it works for us. Movie night, actually, a movie that long. I can't remember what one of the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, anything that, that close to three hours. It was just, I mean, enormously long. And, and, and a lot of it could have been cut out. But a good action movie. But we, as we're cruising through trying to find something to watch, I said, how did I not see that movie advertised? That looks like a good movie. A couple of them I came across. And we watched the previews, and it was like, okay, the trailer looks good. How do we, oh, we don't watch commercial television. You know, and I thought, well, I'm on streaming, and I'm on, you know, I don't know, every, so many digital websites or so many websites where the digital ads should be hitting. And I don't know what Hollywood is promoting, what they're not promoting. I don't, I don't see any of it. It doesn't hit in my algorithm. Um, and I pay to not see commercials uh, on YouTube, so I don't see any there. So I've minimized my exposure to commercials in general. I don't see the promotion for these movies. A lot of them... You know, a lot of entertainment in general. I mean, you've really kind of got to get the word out. You're competing with with, with everything. You're competing with uh, social media. Whatever draws people's attention, you're competing with that. And whether it's a sports team, you know, or league, you know, promoting something on television or, or wherever it's going to stream, uh, you've really got to get... You've got to get the word out there. You've got to really do a, a good blast. I may be an anomaly in terms of my interest, but in terms of the reach, I, I'm a pretty mm-hmm. common consumer. I I will say this. I mean, the the uh, the thought that I had also when I was watching it last week was part of what we discussed yesterday with inflation the way that it is mm-hmm. right now. And, yeah. and, you know, you see some of the numbers out there. We brought you the the uh, the the subprime delinquencies on auto loans right yeah, now, which right. could be a precursor mm. to general auto loans out there, um, and, and you know the financial you know situation that people are are in. The, we talked about Halloween candy being up thirteen uh, percent just from last year, mm-hmm. and and you just you you see now there was uh, the, the other story that sixty uh, percent now sixty uh, percent of Americans have cut back tremendously on any form of entertainment. Yeah. You look at these, yeah. you look at, and we talked about, you know, concert tickets and 
and and sports tickets a little bit yesterday, and I thought about that last week again. I'm like, these people are playing, you know, for playoff tickets, you're paying hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. And I just, you know what it is? Maybe as I get older, I'd, I would rather spend money on a concert where I know that no matter what happens at that concert, I'm going to be pleased. Yeah. Yeah, the, in, the yeah right. the artist is going to deliver, right. and it's going to be what you expect. That that when I when I would pay, because I can still remember going to my first NFL game, and it yeah. was the Baltimore Colts versus the Bills. I think in nineteen seventy, three dollars. Yeah, that was nothing. Right, they lost. Yeah, no right. big deal. It was a good experience. Yep, I can't imagine paying four hundred dollars a ticket, getting you know two tickets, eight hundred dollars, and my team losing. Or, yeah. you know, like last night where the Rangers won 11-4, to I mean, it, that game was over by the fourth, fifth inning. Right. You knew it was over. You're like sitting there going, $800. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> maybe that's what, maybe I want a return on investment of happiness right. on my entertainment dollar. Right. And that's exactly. why I moved away from sports. Well, <laughs> you know, I was scratching my head for the longest time uh, because as a kid playing on a basketball league on uh, Laughlin Air Force Base near Del Rio, played on a, a team called the Spurs, and everyone down there was a Spurs fan. And so if we followed basketball, it was the Spurs in terms of the NBA. Coach Turk at at the end of the uh, the 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 uh, young airman who was our coach at the end of the season somehow I mean I know the parents bought the tickets but they caravaned us all down to a game to watch the Spurs and it's a two hour drive they went to we went to San Antonio from Del Rio it's a two hour drive so they caravaned us all down to a game with the Spurs playing. The New Orleans Jazz. Oh, yeah. And, you know, watching the Iceman, George Gervin. I mean, it was unbelievable. A buddy of mine, Mark Brell, bought his dad, brought his dad's camera. I mean, it was insanely great. But there's no way in the world a young airman coach, you know, could take his team and the parents could afford that, you know, to just go. It was kind of on a whim. I do remember it was last minute. But those tickets were nowhere near. The cost is nowhere near what it is today. That wouldn't have happened today without a ton of money being spent by those parents. And I know my parents didn't have it at the time. 86690 Red Eye. Brought to you by FPPF Fuel Power Max. Managing time is key. Successful owner-operators know that simply running hard is not enough. If it were that easy, anyone could do the job and expect the profits to roll in. It generally pays to slow down. There is a trade-off in higher costs, not to mention the increased risk for driving fast. If driving slower takes time away from you, you could find some of the ways to get it back. Never take time off during the last two weeks of the quarter or the last week of the month when freight typically is abundant. Sometimes it works to your advantage to look for loads that take you through home rather than to home. The latter can interrupt your revenue stream and require additional time to get back up to full speed again. Brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
In Twilight Radio, uh, he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. We'll talk uh, about uh, the uh, <laughs> the speaker effort coming up here following the bottom of the hour. What were you just telling me? You're, it, it's we got into a discussion 30 seconds before we went on the air. Yeah, and it was just it was interesting uh, well, about, about Israel. Uh, yeah, this is from Politico. I saw this yesterday. It caught my attention. Uh, Gavin Newsom, Israel Hamas war, quote not intellectual. Any longer, end quote. Uh, he, uh, the California governor, uh, said Monday that his visit to Israel over the weekend strengthened his sympathy for Israelis reeling from Hamas's attack earlier this month. It was a deeper emotional level, just the trauma and the experience. Um, but it touches on something that that you and I had talked about and I, I found it interesting that that first of all he said that uh but also that politico wrote the story on it in that it is not any longer about this you know intellectual discussion for conservatives it was not for anyone following along and paying attention it shouldn't have been and this intellectual discussion. It should have always been a very clear line and distinction between Hamas, a terrorist organization, and Israel. It wasn't, but it is interesting that someone like Gavin Newsom saying that. Now, the question is, because I thought to myself, well, man, he's likely going to run for president one day. Can you, can you, if you're a Democrat, if you're the governor of California, a liberal, very liberal Democratic governor of California, can you get away with saying that? But this situation right now, and after the media was shown, by the IDF yesterday, the videos of what Hamas did. And they were seated in this theater watching these videos play out and the reaction from them. You could see the looks on their face. They were horrified. We should have seen this a long time ago. As a global society, we should have carved out Hamas and they should have been destroyed a long time ago. But it was that intellectual discussion, in part, which that was, allowed that. Which was not an intellectual it, discussion. It wasn't by any no. measure. From the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. I just did a little uh, uh, checking. Now, this is on the secondary market from StubHub. 
But, you know, you and I were talking about inflation yesterday and what people are spending their money on and that Americans are cutting back, way, way cutting back on their entertainment uh, expenses. uh, On secondary ticket markets like StubHub, prices start at $376 for the first two home games of the World Series. So that would be way, 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 way up there. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a secondary market, but that's if uh, you want to go, probably that's the way that you would want to go if, unless you had season tickets because uh, they say limited number of, of tickets. So I, that's where I look at it. I'm like, wow. I mean, with with inflation and everything else, and and I, I just look at it, and I'm like, the price of sports tickets today, um, the price of major concerts. Now, I don't really go to a lot of major concerts. Oh, but, right. But yeah. with sports to begin with, you know, you look at, you know, even I don't care whether it's the National Hockey League or the NBA or whatever. I mean, everything is just through the roof expensive. And I'm just like, how long is that going to continue? I know I don't I, I don't I, see I, prices dropping. I mean, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's so. What you hope, I guess, would happen for many other reasons and they're not related to sports or entertainment and that's you know for eventually get back to a greatly expanding economy but i don't know what sets off an expanding economy right now in in the u.s i don't know first of all where you get the manpower where you get enough people to work you need the workers and we don't have them and beyond that, we're far from a policy of expanding, you know, our economy. When you look at, uh, you know, the world and, and all of these climate change activists in leadership roles uh, around the world, basically calling on countries in recent days to, to draw the line in the sand and set an end date on fossil fuels. In other, in, in other words, come out and say, as of this date, we will no longer be using fossil fuels. In many ways, we've already started that here in the U.S., the Biden administration, and the liberal Democrats are doing this, California's doing this, so that ultimately you're going to further destroy an economy. Interesting, I saw one article that showed outside of the the Tesla crowd, which is very loyal, more than half of EV owners say they'll go back to an internal combustion engine. Well, why is that? Well, because they bought it for the wrong reason. If you're a tech person and you were already set up, then it's not going to have an impact on you. But the EV market is not going to hit the common person by 2035, and it's not going to be practical by any measure. Well, not only that, uh, Wall Street Journal had an editorial yesterday. Did I save the story? I think I did. Saying that the green grid's not going to happen. No, that, it isn't. That, of course that there, it isn't. Here it is. The green, the green electric power grid isn't coming. The International Energy Agency says it would require millions of miles of transmission lines. And this is right. something that you and I touched on right. that really nobody touched on. I mean, years ago, right. we were talking about the fact that what you got to realize is 
you know, so many power plants right now are close to the major metropolitan areas. Yeah. And it's a small, it's in a very small particular area that we produce energy, which then the grid goes out to where it needs to go out. Mm-hmm. That when mm-hmm. you build massive solar and wind farms, these things, number one, are much further away Yep, from major metropolitan areas. And then each and every one you've got to address. I said, nobody's ever talked about the expense of building the grid. And they have uh, right here, the International Energy Agency says this week that 49.7 million miles of transmission lines, enough to wrap around the planet 2,000 times, will have to be built or replaced by 2040 to achieve the climate lobby's net zero emission goals. That amounts to uh, a plan for everyone to buy more metals from coal-fired plants in China. Grid investment, the IEA, uh, IEA report argues, is needed to carry additional renewable energy as the world deploys more electric vehicles, installs more electric heating and cooling system, and scales up hydrogen production using electrolysis. By its estimate, the world needs to spend $600 billion annually on grid upgrades by 2030. Unlike fossil fuel or nuclear power plants, solar and wind projects are typically many miles from population centers. That means long transmission lines, some under the sea to take electricity from offshore wind installations. Tens of thousands of extra power transformers will be needed to step up and down voltage. All of this would cost trillions of dollars and require enormous quantities of metals, copper and aluminum are the principal materials for the manufacture of cables and lines. The transmission lines also need insulators such as cross-linked uh, polyethylene and ethylene uh, propylene polymer, both derived from fossil fuels. Transformers are made of the same specialized steel used in charging stations for electric vehicles. Smaller transformers require non-oriented electrical steel used in EV motors. The green energy gold rush has contributed to shortages of both types. Buyers of transformers face a wait of over 18 months right now. Meantime, meanwhile, advanced economies must replace aging equipment to prevent power outages and safety hazards. About half of the transmission and distribution lines in the United States are more than 20 years old. Where are the materials going to come from? The report doesn't say, but most likely China which dominates global copper, steel, and aluminum production, owing its lax environmental regulations and low labor cost. Over the past 20 years, primary aluminum production has increased ninefold in China while declining 68% in the United States. Mm. Metals manufacturing takes massive amounts of power, and coal accounts for 60% of China's electric generation. In other words, the IEA's path to net zero grid would involve emitting a lot more CO2, even assuming it wasn't a political non-starter, which it is, which means nobody's going to pay the amount of what you need to build the grid that you will need if you're actually going to do the delusional, uh, you know, renewable you know, energy thing. Right. It's, well, it's, and, it, and it that's it. You know, you look at the delivery of energy um, and they spell out here something that, Many people have have known, but as a nation, as a society, when we moved on from one form of energy to the next, it was always about becoming more efficient. This is where the liberals are lying about the efficiency 
of wind and solar. It isn't there. It's enormously expensive, and it's not reliable. Reliability is job number one. It has to be there on demand. The, 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 the problem is we already see the, the, the problem with inflation right now. And then you think about it, that what the Democrats have proposed is that we are going to move to both an energy system which is less efficient, less productive, and our transportation system to something that is less efficient and productive. Right. That's never been done in the history of the world. No, because it, it, it right. goes against the, in fact, it, the entire uh the foundation, the principles behind it are wrong. Right. Because you're, technology you're looking, gives you more productivity. Exactly. Not less. And and you talk about an imploding economy. If they were to force this kind of mandate, these kind of mandates, but the overall mandate in general, in in the time frame that they're talking about, I don't know of a time frame that actually would work, but we have to go by what They've already said what they've already put into place, what they say are their goals and what the mandates in some uh, instances already are. You're not there's no way you could get there and meet that without imploding the economy. Here's here's another thing we talked about. Newsom and his observation on Israel. It's not going to be long before he has another observation on what's going on, he already sees what's going on in his state about people leaving that state. And why is that? Because the, the liberal agenda overall is not going to work. The mandates that they're putting into place aren't going to work. More and more people are fleeing the state. And it really is and will continue to be in a state like California, this erosion of their economy as the human resources leave and no one wants to use the actual very efficient natural resources in that state. They all want wind and solar. This is not going to, it doesn't matter how you put this out there, how you lay this out there. This puzzle does not come together. It doesn't. It's wholly incomplete, and it never will be solved because these forms of energy aren't reliable, and these policies are not sustainable. And They're is, not affordable. Yeah. They won't be afforded. What do you do when you have the OEMs going, well, we're not selling. We've reached the saturation on, a, on the marketplace in terms of buyers for EVs. We've reached it, and no one wants to go buy another one. No one. We have very few people that are coming back every few years like they did for internal combustion engines. And our lots are full. We're sending. We're not taking delivery from the OEMs, from the plants. What do you do then? Well, what they would like to do, I mean, ultimately what they want to do is build out a public transportation system, but that's not going to work in America. That works in very few places, and it's never efficient. And you can't do that in middle America. You can't do that. 
ultimately, you can't do that in a Los Angeles effectively. So no one can afford a car. And at some point, they've got to come back and go, well, internal combustion engines, and we're going to outlaw those. You're not going to be able to use them by this year. We've seen that with Class 8 vehicles, with big rigs. Well, by this time, you need to have this type of vehicle. And it won't be just about purchasing new vehicles. It'll be about outlawing the usage of the old vehicles. And if you think people are leaving California now, you wait until they roll something like Which that Which brings us up to, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, we're seeing things, you know, with, with COVID, we're seeing things that we've never seen. Right. You know, when it comes to inflation, when it comes to long-term, uh, you know, uh, debt financing and what's going to happen with uh, with that, just the cost of living. And the cost of, we brought you yesterday, to now buy a medium-sized home. You mm-hmm. need to make 114000 in order to do it. Mm-hmm. where it's not a complete hardship for you. Right. So housing's becoming too expensive. Mm-hmm. Cars, the two things you really need, cars and housing, yep. is now becoming too expensive for the average middle-class person. Shelter and transportation. Yep. And they're struggling with and, food and, costs. And food costs are going through, as we know, food costs are, are going through the, uh, the, the roof. Yep. And now they want to skyrocket electricity prices. Right. Remember, Obama said that was their goal back in 2008 yep. when talking to the San Francisco Chronicle. Yep. That was their goal. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually the public's going to say, well, this sucks. Yeah, we can't and, do and, this. And you just can't do it. Right. You just, you, uh, you know, scientifically, you know, uh, you can't do it. Right. As we've talked about, I mean, when Biden got up there, you know, the the most idiotic thing a president has ever said was by 2035, we'll be all solar and wind. Uh-huh. You're out of your mind. Yeah. It's impossible. You can't do it. And he should have been called on it by every single major media outlet because that's insane. To me, that's not conservative or liberal. That's insane. Yep. It can't scientifically be done. Even if you want it, it can't be done. No, it's not going to happen. You can't run a society. And the the media, I don't care whether you're left or right, should have come out and said, well, what that's going to cause is a major economic problem around the United States and the world. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Corley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, will we get a speaker this week? We'll get into it. Tell you who the uh, the eight are. Uh, you know, they uh, supposed to vote on it tomorrow. Yeah, I guess we'll see where it we'll goes. See. Oh, and we'll tell you what. Uh, you see, it was the uh, GOP, speak, uh, GOP speaker candidate releases five policy commitments mm. that he urges fellow contenders to follow we'll get that too. okay all right this is red eye radio on westwood It's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here are the eight Republicans that are uh, still in for speaker. Uh, House Majority Whip Tom Emmer, uh, Representative Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, uh, House Republican Conference Vice Chairman Mike Johnson, Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, Jack Bergman of Michigan, Austin Scott of Georgia, Pete Sessions of Texas, Mm. and Representative Gary Palmer of uh, in uh, in Alabama, so those are the eight. All right, um, Byron Donalds right now is trending on X, formerly known as MySpace, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I uh, I'm just begging for someone to correct me on uh, email. I'm looking forward to that email, but uh, that's you know that uh, you and I were talking during a break. We both like Byron Donalds. He's uh, a guy who is, is, I believe he has a great conviction on the issues. I think he would make a good speaker. Uh, I think Pete Sessions would be okay. <laughs> but it gets, you know, gets back to this thing being, you know, now just a soup show. It really is. It's just, it 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 just seems like a game show, a weird game show, and it needs to end. But I don't know where it does end. I don't know if uh, Byron Donalds, you know, has enough respect, and and I believe he does. But I, I thought Scalise, I think I, I said this to you off the air, I think I, and maybe on the air some, at some point, especially in the wake of what uh, the attack on Israel, I thought the GOP in the House, I was hoping maybe the GOP in the House would get it together. And I thought Scalise was going to get it because he has respect uh, throughout the halls there in the House. And I think Byron Donalds does too with at least the GOP. And, but I don't, I have no idea. And I don't know where this thing is going to go. I don't know ultimately how this thing's, how long this is going to go on. I mean, we could be at the, we could be at election night <laughs> next year. And the GOP is uh, going to be voting again tomorrow in the House to see if they can get a, a speaker for the next month or so. I love uh, AOC was, uh, you know, going after uh, Donald's because. You know, he's just a second-term uh, yeah. congressperson. Yeah, too young. Yeah, too young and all that. And, yeah. and I'm like, excuse me. Stop. We've had pre- we <laughs> Trump was <laughs> was never in politics before. Right. Biden is completely. I mean, with the look, anything goes right now because of the insanity that the Democrats uh, are promoting on the issues, and we talk specifically the issues. We're not just name calling uh, without being able to back it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. things that are insane or things that are impossible that you keep promoting. Yeah. When you promote things that 
when you're supposed to be a, a government that's supposed to make people's lives easier and you believe your goal is the opposite to make their lives harder, less secure, less safe, more expensive. We view that as being in an insane political uh, uh, philosophy to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Donald's as Speaker of the House would be fine with me. You and I said this a while back uh, when we first saw him. We said he's got a great political future. Yep. yep. This, this guy, look, I'm sure they're all critical thinkers in their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, you know, has, well, <laughs> I won't say every Republican has <laughs> great critical thinking skills. I would just say that Donald's does. I've seen him enough ask questions in the committees that he is on. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Yeah. And yeah. he has the tone that I want. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. tone does not mean skin color for anybody else uh, mm-hmm. out there. Where, ah, yeah. <clears throat> his his verbal tone, the way that he explains things is, uh, because that's what I'm, other people may be looking for different things. We've already had this discussion. We're, most Republicans agree on 80% of the issues. It's mm-hmm. not the issues. Mm-hmm. It's how to get there. Right. And we know that there were many people disappointed and they wanted Jim Jordan because he's got the same kind of anger that I have and that Trump has, and that's what the speaker should have. Mm-hmm. And we're like, no, because that all you're doing at that point is talking to the converted. If right, you right. If, if that's what you're looking for, somebody who will back up what you believe, uh, I believe that's the wrong thinking of what you need in a Speaker of the House right now. What you need from a Speaker right now is somebody who can go and gather independence. I was reading some, uh, what was it, uh, the um, uh, the, uh, tip editorial board, which was talking about the fact that, look, this guy is great. He's on all the, 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 the issues. And they mentioned that he's black and that will help Republicans. Uh, I didn't think that. All I thought was, this is a guy that I want. Well, the, yeah, me, right. This is a guy that I'm not saying that he's the only one I would want. This is a guy that I would support, would support. Uh, and I don't know how he would do as speaker. You never know. But from seeing how. How he explains the issues and how he can get into the minutia of policy and make it interesting and not be offensive in his approach whatsoever. We've said this before. Uh, I don't think that any issue that I stand for is a, is is in the least offensive at all. Right. None of it's offensive at all. None of it. Now, people are going to take offense to it, but I don't believe it's offensive. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I can convince a ton of independents that being more conservative is a way to go, especially with the insanity of the Democrats. In fact, the most frustrating thing for Eric and I over the last couple of years is the insanity of the Democrats on the issues, and they keep winning. Yeah. Yeah. And the Republicans, and, you know, look at the speaker thing right here. Everything is there. You could not on the issues have so many things fall into the lap of Republicans saying, guys, gals, you can win really big mm-hmm. in 2024 mm-hmm. if your message is correct. I think Donald's would send the correct message. 
Yeah. He's a Trump supporter, yeah. but he's his own person. Right. Yep. And he doesn't explain things like Trump does. No, I, I think that he, well, first of all, he talks with uh, conviction. He talks straight to the point. He talks on the issues. When you when you hear him talking, it's it's on the issues, and that is that's going to be critical. Whoever the speaker is, it's, it's always critical that you stay focused on the issues, and you stay focused on the agenda well, of your party. And and right now, there are so many items, important items that they need to get back to. Well, I think that Trump was one of the best political communicators when he first ran and has become one of the worst political communicators now. Hmm. I think Donald's is a incredible communicator of yeah, ideas. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't waffle off into other topics. Mm-hmm. And that's what's needed right now with the Republicans need is a communicator and I think he's a great communicator. The others might be. I don't know. I've seen more of him, and he is a fresh face. Well, and and I also like the fact that he's very clear. There are no questions. When he's at a podium speaking, he's very clear. And, and he's also thorough on the issues, on explaining the issues, on laying out what the, you know, the landscape is on whatever it is they're tackling. And those are the things you need, and that's what the GOP is going to need between now and November of next year in order to bring those independents on board in a solid way. And I still have my doubts as as to whether they can do that, even with someone as effective as Byron Donalds being the Speaker of the House. But it is what you need in that position. Everything else is going to be on the members of the other members of the party at getting that message on the issues out. It's, it's you know, one of the things about in the wake of the attacks on Israel, uh, you and I have been saying, and we've said multiple times, this has now really clearly uh, drawn a line in the sand between radicals and everybody else. But but I, I think it's also a wake-up call on on every issue. It should be. It, it has the potential to be that we have to stop playing these games. We have to stop having these we're talking earlier about uh, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. And, well, it's no longer an intellectual discussion, uh, the war between Hamas and Israel. It shouldn't have ever been for us. It wasn't ever. No, it wasn't ever. No. And everything no. that they approach is, well, see. Wind and solar will see sanctuary policy. You got Mayor Adams saying sanctuary <laughs> policy is still a success oh, model. Oh, I saw that headline yesterday. That is oh stupid. My, I, it, it, that is stupid when he's begging the courts to do away with their own sanctuary city policy. How are how are how with a straight? Are you drunk? How in the world do you say that out loud after begging the courts to end sanctuary city policy or at least pause that policy in New York? You know it's not working. 
and your city is suffering as a result, and you know it. But that's the stupidity that you and I talk about and address every single night on this program. And those stupid discussions all need to be thrown out. They need to be gone. We need to quit acting like children. We need to grow up because the world doesn't care. You know, I'm reading here. Oh, well, hang on. We'll get to this here. I'm reading here what uh, uh, the uh, uh, Gary Palmer, who's also running uh, from Alabama, hmm. uh, the Republican Policy Committee chair, uh, what he said, uh, you know, what everybody should be, what policy commitments everyone should be on board for. Hmm. And we'll yeah. get that coming up. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Hey, Trent Radio, he's our Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. All right, so Republican Policy uh, Committee Chair Gary Palmer, who is uh, one of the other speaker candidates, released uh, the policy outline uh, less than an hour before uh, GOP lawmakers retreated behind closed doors to hear from the speaker candidates. He's out with a list of five commitments he is calling on the fellow contenders for the gavel to commit to. That includes a commitment to fund the government with 12 individual spending bills by June 30th of next year, forcing real spending cuts and not budget gimmicks, refusing to pass any more short-term stopgap funding bills, giving members 72 hours to read a bill before it hits the House floor, and perhaps more critically, making sure the GOP conference is on the same page before holding a House-wide vote i like the last one especially how do you not do that how is that not a policy to begin with i don't know how are you not getting everyone together saying hey i don't know to me that's the most that's one of the most basic ideas especially if you're in a situation that the gop is in right now where you don't have the largest margin in the house so you need to be on sure footing before you take it to the floor. The challenge that the Republicans have, because the Republicans are admitting more, way more than the Democrats are, that we've got to get spending under control. Mm-hmm. The American public says they want to cut in spending, but in fact they don't. Right. Right. Uh, And I'm not talking about our audience. Right. Because I know people understand what the problem is. But we live in a world of delusion Mm -hmm. or misinformation Mm -hmm. or a combination of both. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's still the case. Yeah. The majority of Republicans and Democrats believe we can solve the budget problem by cutting out foreign aid. And wasteful spending. Right. Not, not even close. Not the not case. even close. Not the case. Nope. Look, uh, you know, those items, those those other four items are huge. They're massive. Right. Um, but, you know, that that is something that 
is part of that last item, not just in bringing something to the floor for a vote, but in bringing the party and keeping the party together, saying, look, we understand you've got a list and you've got a list and you've got a list and you all want to go back to your districts and and take this list, completed list, to your constituents. But as a party, we need to have a greater communication within the party and as a party that these are the agenda items we're going to work on right, right. now between now and, and, you know, June of 24 or whenever it's going to be. Well, with the fact that it has to be the Republican Party that promotes spending cuts that America really doesn't want, mm. <clears throat> even though they understand it, you need somebody to communicate to independents. Yep. Because, look, we know you may have problems with Republicans in cutting. Yeah. We know that from the Obamacare when the Republicans got power. Trump, Republican Senate, Republican House, mm-hmm. you can repeal Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Well, we can repeal the mandates and mm-hmm. the taxes, but we, we can't get rid of the actual benefits because Republicans like the benefits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But don't really want to pay for it. Right. That's the challenge that Republicans have. No, and you need a leader who can articulate that. Right. Uh, I believe that, you know, and again, I'm not endorsing him. I'm just looking at from what I've seen, especially of, of Byron Donald, is he is the guy I believe that can do that. Yeah. To go to the American right. public and go sure. every single day, the message, the inflation you see today, everything you see today is because of spending. We have to cut. We can't continue to do this to future generations and our own generation because now we haven't just done you know, an immoral thing to future generations. And and the Democrats will not confront the serious challenge that we have. And you can make the case now. Everyone knows because of COVID and everything else that happened that didn't have to happen. We didn't need to shut down all of society. But because of it, we've seen the inflation that was caused because of the government programs and how you're suffering now because of it. How you're suffering now is a direct result of policies of the government that we as a Republican Party and a House are against. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's going to be tough, but it's tough now. We're spending the money, and we created this toughness for you, and we're not going to be able to bail bail you out. We don't have the money to do it, and it will make inflation even worse. I think Donald has the ability to communicate that, to independence, because that's the problem that Republicans have. The Republicans understand we have to cut. We have to. Yeah. Yeah. There is no choice but to do it long term if you actually care about doing the right thing. The problem is even Republicans don't fully understand what the challenges we face are. Yep. Because the majority of Republicans believe well, all we have to do is cut out foreign aid and wasteful spending, and the budget will be fine. That's not going to do it. It will not.
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. And he's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Here's something to uh, to think about. Mm. Uh, let's say that uh, you know they get the speaker that they they want. For example, uh, Byron Donald. Okay, let's let's say that he gets in there and and he's talked about the fiscal situation. In fact, he promotes the fact that he had a career in finance mm-hmm. and that you know we can't continue the way that we're doing. Let's say you get a Republican Congress because one of the things that the Republicans wish to do is they understand the urgency that we cannot be spending the way that we're spending. Let's say Trump is elected. Is Trump going to back them on it? Back them on cutting spending. Oh, I don't, I don't, I I think we have to get there first. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know I, what I mean? Just, I think just, as a party, yeah, just, you have to get there. But right, if they, right. but I guess you're saying in the event that they actually got to that point and it, the House GOP were on track, would Trump back them up? I don't know that Trump would. I don't know that the Senate Republicans would. <laughs> that's a great, I mean, that. I mean, I mean that's, just, it, that's a challenge I, that you face. And I, I don't have, because I don't have confidence, because I don't see it in the makeup of the party based on how the constituents, uh, who represents, you know, the, the American people and the, and the, the rank and file, uh, Republican voter. I don't, I don't see them right now with this great sense of urgency with the exception of, of us, you know, the conservatives. And we're not the, we're not the majority of the party anymore. We're not. That's one of the problems. So, no, because I don't see it getting there. I don't have any confidence. They can lay out everything. They they can talk all they want. They're not going to do the deed. And I hope I'm wrong. I would love for them to prove me wrong, but I don't think they will. Part of the problem is over the next few years, you're going to have to address Social Security and Medicare. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to address that somehow. Yes. Which means you're either going to have to significantly raise the premiums. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and, And what I believe... What I believe will happen if Democrats are in power is we're not going to touch Social Security. We're only going to raise uh, we're <laughs> we're going to double what the employer has to kick in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it'll affect the economy and it'll affect your pay. It just won't directly. And mm-hmm. so we and we've stated this before. Well, what will the Democrats do if the Democrats are in power? And we're getting to this point, we're getting closer and closer, and it's obvious that Social Security can't remain and Medicare can't remain the same. What will they do? Will the Democrats come in and drastically raise premiums? And the thing is, well, yeah, but they'll do it against the rich corporations. Mm-hmm. But the the point is, it just isn't going to be, well, what they're going to say is Social Security premiums will double for uh you know for the employer mm-hmm. uh if you have over 500 employees yeah 
in order mm-hmm. to keep in order to protect small business mm-hmm. and then nobody will be affected because they will still try to promote the fact that we can increase cost to industry and it has no effect mm-hmm. because they've been able to sell that for such a long time that falsehood they've been able to sell for a long long time right yeah because I, because I, other and I don't know you know when you see where the you know and that's the problem you know population the fact our lack of population growth mm-hmm. and the fact that because illegal immigration has become such a huge problem and the fact that the Democrats want open borders, Americans don't want more legal immigration. Right. We agreed with Trump back when Jim Acosta got kicked out and they were having that discussion. He was saying, we need lots more immigration if you're going to have the kind of growth that I want which I think at that point he was talking, what, 4 to 5% growth mm-hmm. every year on a consistent basis, which we mm-hmm. said, okay, you can shoot for it. If you get 2.8, that's... You're you still going to need a lot of people. You're to still going to need, right, you're still going to need a ton of people if you're at a 25 to 3% growth rate uh, every single year, right. not just for a quarter, but every single year. If that's a growth rate, you're going to need it. And that's what he said. We're going to need a ton of people because you have to have people... And we are just not producing people anymore. Right. That's the problem with growing an economy. But the fact is the public doesn't want to hear it. Public doesn't want to hear increasing legal immigration right now. Nope. And the Dem- Republicans aren't going to touch legal immigration until the border is secure. So that's a problem. I don't know how you overcome uh, that that problem. I don't know how you overcome the math of the people collecting Social Security and Medicare versus those putting in? No, I don't know. It's, you know, they're going to try the easier, as you as you mentioned, the easier political sell is to, you know, put it on companies and also put it on higher income individuals and raise the, right. the FICA right. limit uh, or do away with it. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I I'm not sure. But that's you know will be basically on the wealthy and, and when you say do when you mean do away with it the the FICA limit you oh, know, just saying okay okay, okay you know okay, it would okay, be okay right right it would be limitless you oh. would always pay you know massive amounts and it wouldn't be you couldn't cap out for the year they're raising it but I mean I I could see Democrats wanting to you know and and have talked about doing away with the right. limit for a long time and I could see Republicans saying. Well, that's our only political play. You know, well, I, corporations I, yeah. and the rich. Corp- corporations, the rich, also means testing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On recipients. So- yeah. On recipients for Social Security. Right. Now you're going to say, well, what's the mean test on it? You know, if yeah, you're, you'd, have if, to, if, you'd have to define it. Right. If, if you're somebody who, you know, when you decided at 20 years of age to maximize your 401k, Mm-hmm. And you do it all the way till you're 70 or whenever you have to take it out. And it's like, well, you don't get it because you've saved enough and done everything right. Well, that's going to cause problems. But if you sit there and say, okay, anybody who makes over, um, uh, anybody who uh, is net worth is over $5 million, you know, can't collect Social Security anymore, mm-hmm. yet you've got to, pay the maximum amount, mm-hmm. well, that's going to be a few of the rich complaining, so we'd rather appease the general masses. Now, it completely changes what Social Security was supposed to be about. Right. 
and and makes it much more of a welfare program instead mm-hmm. of a mm-hmm. you know a uh, what do you call it a a retirement uh, uh, a part retirement pension plan a pseudo retirement actual pyramid scheme. <laughs> And that's, you know, this is where it, it it was always going to culminate in this. It was always going to end in this way. And, you know, the rich will get hit, but politically, nobody cares about that. They, and, you, can, you can target the rich, you can target corporations politically and get away with it. And I see this on social media uh, uh, all, all the time. Well, all they have to do is, because government took money out, they should force government to put it back in. Mm-hmm. Well, that is already the case. Mm-hmm. The government out of the general fund has to, every year, you know, put in what is needed for Social Security. Mm-hmm. But that's simply coming from other sources. Mm-hmm. You're still going to be raising uh, taxes. But once that is paid off, there is no law that forces the government to continue doing that. That's why... When you look at what, 2033 or 2034, the government is still funding Social Security out of regular funds from what they borrowed. So that's already happening. People don't know that. They assume that the government took the money and don't, doesn't have to put it back in. Yes, they do. Yeah. And they've been putting it back in. Mm-hmm. And still with that, you know, you're, you've got to cut by what, 20%? Oh, yeah. Social Security yeah. by 2034? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. How do you shore up? That's a huge amount of cash. How do you shore that up? Remember, while also those, still those... trying to you know deal with what's going on, generally speaking, on the national debt and and maintaining the payments on the interest of the uh, national of the, debt right. as interest rates will continue <clears throat> to be high. And I don't see those interest rates, by the way, coming back down. Between I could be wrong. But I don't see them coming back down soon enough to, you know, for that to change much well, there on the on the uh, national debt. That's another thing the Republicans are going to have to deal with, because if they're going to cut, all you have to do is say the budget remains the same every year and you're cutting. Yeah. You've got to cut stuff out of it. Right. Because the interest on the debt is going to take such a much bigger amount. What is it now? What are what are we this year near seven hundred billion, eight hundred mm-hmm. billion? I mm-hmm. forgot what it is. Mm-hmm. Just a few years ago, it was two hundred and fifty billion. Right. So you're talking over a half a trillion dollars more that we'll be paying, and and eventually trillion dollar interest. So if you just say we're going to cap spending this year and not spend any more, there's already going to be major cuts to programs. Yep, to accommodate for that interest. The interest on the debt. Yep. yep. So, like I said, the challenge that Republicans have that they keep promoting we need to cut when the public says, yep, we agree with them until they actually have to cut because the public will say, as they've been saying, including the majority of Republicans, just cut out all foreign aid. Cut, cut the uh, the stuff, all the stuff that doesn't affect me. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it doesn't touch me at all. Nothing in my neighborhood gets cut. And it shows that the majority of Americans, including the majority of Republicans, don't even know how serious the budget problem, you know, where we're headed. And we all knew this, but 
And Republicans used to care. Mm -hmm. The majority used to care about the debt. Yep. That disappeared, what, about oh. 2015, 2016? I was going to go back to 2008, 2009. <laughs> well, I mean, but, it was but, I yeah, mean, it was, was still... it was less. But, I mean, it was really, that was, a, and I say 2015 because that was when the, the whole, the, the, the squad, <laughs> mm. the swamp mm -hmm. was Republicans who wouldn't cut. Yeah. So that was really yeah. 2015 yeah. into 2016, early That was really the end of it. That was really the death knell. Well, I, to me, the end of it was where Trump became popular because he was like, you know, uh, uh, Ryan's got to go because he's not cutting. And then a few months later, he's talking, Trump's talking about borrowing trillions of dollars because interest rates are low. So mm -hmm. borrow it while well, interest rates are low, mm -hmm. not realizing, yeah, but you're not paying back the principal right. anytime soon when, when you pay and we're not going to stay at zero forever. Yeah, and we've seen it. Yeah, because when you keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing, eventually. But the world the was convinced gonna we up. were going to stay at zero forever. Yeah. Well, again, that more delusional thinking. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't going to happen. Eventually, interest rates have to go back up. And here we are. So really, after 2016 is when we saw tremendous just. And I remember we'd talk about it. We get Republicans. I'm a Republican, but you guys are just too way too worried about the debt. Mm -hmm. so oh, no, we're yeah. not. Nobody's yeah. saying that now, are they? Nope. Because we know the effect it's had on inflation. Yep. You can see it. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So that's the challenge, I think. I just want to lay it out that mm. uh, Republicans have, no matter who they put in as a, a speaker. And that's why, you know, the the entire conversation is not, and I'm sure it is with, with, with some, but it's how much you're going to cut and how you're going to market that to the uh, American public. And so... The concern is if you go in and say, no, we're going to shut down the government like right now. Yeah. And and even uh, we just uh, when we read the uh, representative from Alabama, he didn't say about shutting down the government. Now, he said by June 30th of next year, you know, we need to have a plan to have the 12 appropriations, you know, uh, uh, budget uh, items ready to go in full and no stopgap basically after that point. Right. So nobody is saying shut down the government right now, which was really the call of Gates mm -hmm. and others, mm -hmm. you know, that you have to have guts to shut it down because we can't get what it want. Even after the House Freedom Caucus came up with the plan that McCarthy accepted. Yeah. And they still said no. So that's the problem. We all know it has to be done. It's how you approach it and when you approach it. Yeah, um, it's a massive, massive Everest of a problem.
This is Red Eye Radio on West. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. This was really an interesting article. Fox had it. Son, uh, the headline is, Son of Hamas Founder says mainstream media afraid to label group a genocidal religious movement. The son of a Hamas founder said that the terrorist group is even more dangerous than ISIS on Monday, adding that the mainstream media is afraid to call it a genocidal religious movement for fear of igniting a full-on religious war. Look at the division and the global confusion because of Hamas. They brought us to our knees somehow by their brutality and their barbarism. Brutality is even understating Hamas's acts. Hamas is a religious movement, and they are a raging religious movement against Israel. The mainstream media cannot say this because they are afraid to ignite a religious war. And what I say, uh, it already is. They want to annihilate the Jewish people because they are Jewish people, because they are a Jewish state. Yosef, who renounced the terrorist group and became an informant for Israel's internal security service in the 1990s, said Hamas cannot be negotiated with since it isn't a national or political movement. They are driven by dark hatred towards a race, towards a nation. ISIS has been heavily reduced in influence since it carved out territorial control in parts of Syria and Iraq in, uh, in, in 2010, by, or by 2010. It became known for its terrorist acts and horrific human rights abuses against people under its domain. Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip after Israel's withdrawal from the area in the 2000s and has ruled the territory since being elected power in 2006. Israel declared war on Hamas this month after the Palestinian terror group launched uh, a surprise attack in southern Israel invading and going on a killing rampage against Jewish civilians. Talks about Hamas taking over the 200 hostages. It says Yusuf said Hamas's ability to withstand any ground invasion from the Israelis would predicate in part on its known practice of using human shields. They have many tunnels. They use funds uh, and uh, the aid that came to Gaza They use it to dig tunnels. That's another interesting thing here, and this was brought up because now you're talking about, you know, the the humanitarian aid. And Mm -hmm. as the Wall Street Journal pointed out on October 17th, the Gaza hospital and the missing aid. Hamas steals from a U.N. refugee agency 
which plays along. Uh, on Tuesday, a blast at the hospital in Gaza City reportedly killed hundreds of people. Hamas blamed an Israeli airstrike. The Israel Defense Forces said it was a failed missile uh, from the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a local proxy of Iran. And so they go into, you know, the statistics of a quarter of the rockets fired in previous wars have fallen short and landed in Gaza. Hamas courts, and it's time to tell the truth, Hamas courts Palestinian casualties. They want Palestinian casualties. Well, that, that's it. That's part of the chaos they have to create in this situation. Yep. They know that they can blame Israel whenever, yep, whatever the aftermath of its misfired rockets or human shields ends up in the news. Hamas shows little concern for the people of Gaza that it has long stolen their humanitarian aid. It's another way the terrorist group uses Palestinian civilians playing on Western sympathy, sympathy excuse me, to advance its jihadist brutality. Uh, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, known as URA, took to Twitter on Monday. They received reports that yesterday a group of people with trucks purporting to be from the Ministry of Health of the de facto authorities in Gaza removed fuel and medical equipment from the agency's compound in Gaza City. But hours later, something strange happened. They deleted its tweet and said nothing was amiss. Hmm. With regards to reports on social media of looting of the warehouse, it wrote, leaving out the reports had been its own, we would like to confirm that no looting had taken place. The agency would not respond to any requests for comments. Uh, UNRWA can pretend it never said what it said, but UN sources told Israeli news that the aid was stolen and that Israel's military liaison to the Palestinians reports that 24,000 liters of fuel and medical supplies went straight to Hamas, Mm -hmm. whose underground bases use diesel generators. Washington covers that tab. Since President Biden restored aid that was blocked by President Trump, the United States has become the humanitarian uh, uh, aids, the humanitarian's group, largest donor at $344 million in 2022. Think about that. So not only did Biden come out the other day and ask the United States citizens to pay billions of dollars to defend Iran, but... Because we must care, we send humanitarian aid that Hamas steals and uses it to go against the Israelis. Yeah. And this is such a cluster, Eric, when you look at it over and over again. Uh, UNRWA was created as a temporary help for Arab refugees from the 1948 war launched to destroy Israel It never went away because rather than resettle them as a U.N. agency for all other refugees does, the special mission is to keep Palestinians displaced in perpetuity. For Palestinians, refugee status uh, uh, is something that has gone on for a significant period of time. The humanitarian group now serves 5.9 million people, even fifth-generation descendants. 
uh, its schools teach that Palestinians includes all Israeli territory to which children can expect or uh, or fight for, depending on the teacher, a return. Hmm. The humanitarian group has admitted that the terrorist groups have used its schools to store and even fire rockets, and its staff has long included Hamas activists. As the humanitarian toll rises, President Biden insists that Israel and Egypt allow more aid into Gaza, and it is needed, but no one should be surprised where it ends up with Hamas fighting against Israel and the United States. And it will, once you take that, you know, that once you start loading that humanitarian aid train, it's not going to end. It's going to keep going. Hamas is still going to benefit from it well you see now i mean you 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 see the other thing as we talked about earlier we didn't get into specific details on it but when you see right now that uh the uh and you know that israel is being held up by the united states because of the hostages right so it worked for hamas take hostages right and then we know know. they they know they had that shelter they knew from the beginning all of this was part of the design of their attack is that when you retreat, you take with you hostages and make sure you have at least some American hostages. And the way that they keep getting this, you know, humanitarian aid and and the back and forth and everything else is by doing what they have done. You release a couple of hostages here and a couple over here. Well, see, they're willing to listen. No, they're not. No, this is all. They're it's, it's playing all you. They're in full control. They have the upper hand right now because Israel is waiting for the U.S. to do something, which I don't think they're ever going to do to the extent that uh, Israel will be satisfied. There's, there, that, that who will do? That the U.S. will do. I mean, they're, they're, the, the U.S. has Israel waiting to go in. Right. From from all reports, the story out there yesterday, the IDF generals are furious that uh, Netanyahu won't let them go in and do the ground war. Right. And all reports are stating it's the United States holding back, saying, hold back, hold back, because maybe more maybe more hostages will be released. And 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 Hamas isn't stupid. They understand. Look, we can go in. We can kill as many people. We can decapitate children. It won't matter. You wait a couple of weeks and the United States will be pressuring Israel to show restraint and not go in and finish the job and allow us to remain so we can do this again in a couple of years. We know what the United... And you've already seen, I saw the the uh, other, the Democratic senator from Vermont, I can't think of his name, not uh, not uh, not the independent, not... Uh, not Bernie. Not Bernie. Uh, I can't think of the, the other ones. He... He came out, well, no, they need to be able to defend themselves, but uh, we, we we need to discuss a ceasefire. Now the ceasefire talk, and the president talked about it, we need to ceasefire. Oh, no, we don't need to ceasefire. They need to release all the hostages, and then uh, and then we can talk. Well, no, that's not how it goes. You defeat, you defeat the enemy. I saw, was it Babylon B that had the headline that... Uh, Oh, I, it was it was great because it made the comparison 
of the the the, the French that the Allies uh, have decided not uh, to uh, hold uh, D-Day because French citizens are in the area. Right. And it made a it's, great it made it's a great point. What a, it's it's a great comparable. You you look at at right now what's going on. It is likely Hamas is not just sitting there waiting. They're planning. They're acting right now. The next step of whatever they're going to do is being carried out while the world waits for the Biden administration. And how long do you wait? How long do you wait? Because what Hamas also knows is at some point, if you hold off Israel from coming in, and then Israel does what the inevitable is, and ultimately Israel's going to have to move one way or the other. And so they move in, and then it looks like they're looking, because in the bubble of today, of course, they want the world to see Israel as the aggressor. So then Israel moves in in the way that they know how to do in an extremely aggressive way. And they become the aggressor. The liberal media is waiting, waiting for that to happen so they can point to them and say, see, Israel, they're the real bad guy. Yeah, you're already, like I said, you're already seen it. We played the audio cut from Corinne Jean-Pierre yeah. when asked whether the president is concerned about uh, the rise of anti-Semitism. And the first thing she brought up was, you know, uh, Islamophobia. Right. Yeah. And how Muslims are mistreated. Right. I mean, my God. I mean, if you wanted any, if you wanted any evidence of the anti-Semitism that exists inside the White House, you got it from Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday. Yeah. There was I mean, an just. There was an interview yesterday also with that I saw with um, the uh, IDF, uh, Israeli Defense Forces spokesman, and he was talking to the media and, and they were talking about, uh, you know, the the attacks. And he said, let's be very clear. There's an important distinction. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the, a very important distinct, uh, distinction that anybody who's been following this for any amount of time already knows. But he had to point this out once again. That Israel doesn't target civilians there are civilians still in gaza and his point was and he said it we have tried to give them as much of a warning we don't want them there but we also realize that there will be civilian casualties but not because we target civilians hamas targets civilians anyone who is who is an Israeli, anyone who is Jewish, is a target. And that's the very clear difference. I I don't know why this is so hard. It is brutal to think about. When you look at the, the, the theater, the IDF put together all of the, the footage that they had from the Hamas attacks on Israel. And you look at the faces, the reaction of the international media sitting in that theater watching in horror. The one reporter from Fox News was barely, when he went on after that, was barely able to keep it together because it was how he described it. Just talking about what he saw. 
was horrific to read or listen to. And I don't know how you don't wake the hell up if you haven't been paying attention. I don't know how to wake you by now because this is very clear right now. Hamas is not going to stop. 86690-RED-EYE. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on speed and space management. Due to safety concerns, many motor carriers have policies that limit or prohibit the use of cruise control. If your motor carrier does allow you to use cruise control, you should only use it in good driving conditions during daylight hours and on roads that have light traffic, few curves or hills, and a consistent speed limit. Never use cruise control when operating in adverse driving conditions, including wet, icy, or slippery roads, during rush hour in heavy traffic or on congested highways, at night, or when you're tired or fatigued. During all of these driving scenarios, you want to be controlling and adjusting your speed as you drive instead of having to suddenly brake if you encounter an obstacle. In the case of a slippery road surface, you want to be able to slow your vehicle by not accelerating instead of using the brakes whenever possible. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Run Radio. He's Eric Cronin. I'm Gary McNamara. Customs and Border uh, Protection Memo is warning staff of the risk that foreign terrorist fighters engaged in the Israeli-Hamas conflict could soon be attempting to enter the United States via the southern border. It's Friday memo by the agency's San Diego Fields Office Intelligence Unit obtained by Fox News. The agency warns that individuals inspired by or reacting to the current Israeli-Hamas conflict may attempt travel to or from the area of hostilities in the Middle East via uh, the transit across the southwest border. Uh, foreign fighters motivated by ideology or mercenary, mercenary soldiers, excuse me, uh, of fortune may attempt uh, to travel to or from the United States or to countries in the Middle East through Mexico. The memo, first reported by the Daily Caller, specifically mentions Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, and Hezbollah. A Customs and Border Protection memo warns of the risk of foreign terrorists coming to the border. I have to wonder if some aren't already here. Yeah. If that was part of a larger plan.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. In Red Eye Radio, he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So I see this here. Israel responds sharply to Greta Thunberg after Stand with Gaza post. So now is that uh, the thing? If you're for climate change, you're for killing innocent civilians. I think if you're a radical, you're a radical. Well, you do. I guess the radical climate change people do want to reduce the world's population because, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, people are the problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. It's yesterday was really an interesting day because you know whether it was Talib or AOC. I mean, Talib was doubling down on the fact that we need an investigation. She wants to so much believe that Israel shot a missile at that yeah and hospital. It, she was doubly she's doubly even tripling further, down. She on wants it. the world to believe it. She yeah. wants everybody to believe that Israel is the aggressor, and this is why. I mean, again, Hamas has the upper hand as long as the U.S. is able to convince Israel not to go in, because they know Hamas knows. That the longer they wait, and there's time between uh, their attack on Israel and then Israel moving in, that the bubble of today mentality will be in play, and Israel will then be seen as the aggressor. And it's just, it's, it's beyond insanity. That we have actual lawmakers in the United States that are so clueless and radical, but the voters put them there. Their constituents voted for them. And some of them will continue to remain in office for years to come. That boggles the mind. It really does. I mean, but again, I I think the, and you mentioned this a couple of times already this week, and even before, uh, before we went on vacation, you said, we're going to know, we're going to see the line in the sand. We're we're going to know, you know, who, who these, uh, you know, who these people are. I was just reading here the day uh, the delusions died, Konstantin uh, Kissin, who is the uh, uh, Russian uh, you know, was born in Russia, whatever, so lived, uh, his, you know, parents came from Russia. Now he's based in um, uh, in uh, in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's really come to the forefront in the last six months. Mm-hmm. He made a speech at Oxford that we played on the air that really went uh, viral, and people have just been paying a lot of attention uh, uh, to him. He said, a friend of mine joked that she woke up on October 7th as a liberal and went to bed that evening as a 65-year-old conservative. Uh, but it really, but it, it, but it wasn't really a joke, and she wasn't the only one. What changed? Hmm. And it really goes back to the fact that the delusion of liberalism, yeah. uh, and yeah. now it's hitting up against reality. This mm-hmm. is what you're seeing here is the reality. Yep. Uh, he said, 
Hamas's barbarism and the explanations and celebrations throughout the West that followed their orgy of violence have forced an overnight exodus uh, from, you know, the liberal mindset to the conservative mindset. Many people woke up on October 7th sympathetic to parts of woke ideology and went to bed that evening questioning how they had signed on to the worldview that had nothing to say about mass rape and murder of innocent people by terrorists. The reaction to the attacks from outwardly pro-Hamas protest to the mealy-mouthed statements of college presidents, celebrities, and CEOs has exploded the comforting stories many on the center-left have told themselves about progressive identity politics. By the way, I, we haven't even delved down the identity politics except for the fact that when you judge people by groups, as we said before we went on vacation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the Democratic Party has a problem with identity politics, mm-hmm. judging people by groups and not as individuals. And you will right. never solve the world's problems. You will never, and until you move away from the identity politics of we're going to judge you by the group that you're in and your group is an oppressor and your group is a victim, you're never going to get anywhere in society. Nope. But that's what they want. Because if you always have chaos, then they're there to pour more money into the chaos, even though we have seen the money doesn't do any good, does it? It doesn't solve the problem. Uh, the reaction to the uh, uh, attacks here from so many, uh, you know, from college presidents, celebrities, and CEOs have exploded the comforting stories. Many on the center left have told themselves about progressive identity politics for many years. They opted for the coping mechanism of pretending that the institutional capture of universities, corporations, and media organizations by the woke mind virus was no big deal. Sure, students shutting down events they disagree with is annoying, they would say, but it's just students doing what students do. October 8th was a wake-up call for those who didn't appreciate that the ideology of the campus has spread to our cities supercharged by social media. We woke up on October 8th to the clamor of street protests in cities across the West condemning Israel even before any major Israeli response uh, to the attacks happened. We watched celebratory crowds brandish swastikas and chant gas the Jews at events purporting to be about the loss of Palestinian lives. We saw Black Lives Matter chapters lionize terrorists. In London, where I live, we watched the mayor deliver glib assurances that London's diversity is our greatest strength in the midst of a wave of anti-Semitic attacks and as Jewish schools were forced to close because of safety concerns. Across the West, we noticed that our representatives refused to condemn Hamas's kidnappings and that the legacy media was all too eager to swallow and regurgitate Hamas propaganda. Prior to the October 7th massacre, many students, alumni, and donors with the liberal vision trusted that the university, for all of its many problems, remained the West's best environment 
for civil discourse. But then they watched university presidents who were quick to issue statements condemning the Russia invasion of Ukraine and the killing of George Floyd fall silent or offer the most slippery statements carefully crafted to avoid offending anti-Israeli groups. They watched an Israeli at Columbia get beaten with a stick and heard reports about the physical intimidation of students on campuses across the country. They read about dozens of students' organizations at Harvard signing a letter holding Israeli entirely responsible for the massacre of Israelis. The events of the last two weeks have shattered the illusion that wokeness is about protecting victims and standing up for persecuted minorities. This ideology is and always has been about the one thing many of us have told you it is about for years, power. And after the last two weeks, there can be no doubt about how these people will use any power they seize. They will seek to destroy in any way they can those who disagree. And it says an unpleasant conclusion is surprising only if you are still clinging to the liberal liberalized version or vision. But if there is any constant in human history, it is that revolutionaries always feel entitled entitled to destroy those who stand in their way. Yeah. It it is a a strategy. The enemy has a strategy that is that is built in part on what they know about us as a global society and how we'll react. I said years ago that I think as a nation, you know, we have lost our, and and it's not that I'm trying to make the point that anybody is pro-war, but as a nation, since the beginning, we have known. In fact, starting with the beginning, we've known that war will be necessary. In today's world, when you have an enemy that will not stop until they're gone, then your only option is to eliminate them. But as a society, we don't think that way. And the last nation on the planet to actually see it for what it is very well could be Israel. The very last country to know what has to be done. That what you have to do, it's not easy. It's not pleasant. And it is certainly not the first choice of anyone, but it is the ultimatum now. You know, you saw yesterday from the the White House, Green Jean-Pierre, that uh, when asked about whether the president is concerned about anti-Semitism, she went right to Islamophobia. Yeah. Can you imagine that was done if a Republican did that and you took two other groups and and a Republican did that? They would be eviscerated for it. Think about this. The president is spending all of his time, all of his, you know, every weekend still at the beach. Yeah. You know, he's not out there saying we need to secure the border now because we can't have that happening. We are stopping. We are going to completely, we're completely going back to enforcing the embargo. Iran cannot get their oil money anymore. Not saying things uh, like that uh, at at all. 
he again backed off, seemed confused yesterday, first said, yes, we need a ceasefire. Well, no, not a ceasefire, but uh, if they release all the hostages, then we're willing to talk. Mm-hmm. And we knew this was going to happen. Right. And and the reports are all over the place, over the media, that the IDF, uh, IDF generals, the Israeli uh, Defense Forces, their generals are furious right now at Netanyahu because they're ready for the ground invasion. Yeah. And they're being held back by the United States, that the United States is putting pressure on Israel. Do not go in because we're trying to get the hostages back, which is exactly, exactly what Hamas knew would happen. And they said, with the United States, with Biden, it's easy. Just keep stalling, and eventually the Democrats will say, oh, we need to have a ceasefire you know, Israel, if they were going to go in, should have gone in a month ago. Mm-hmm. To go in now is uh, is just to, uh, uh, you know, show their hatred towards the Palestinians. Yeah. Because they know how the Democrats will react and how Biden will react. And you already saw it yesterday. If you want to know, if you were looking for evidence of anti-Semitism inside the White House, Corrine Jean-Pierre provided you got your for answer. you yesterday. You got your answer, and she was thumbing through her book, by the way. She had her, her answer. That was part of the page. That was there. That wasn't a misstep, misstatement. That was deliberate. She was prepared for that question, and she delivered the White House's official position. And everything that you're seeing now, is a result of liberalism's acceptance of identity politics, of judging people by groups and not as individuals. Right. And it is a, all, all the radicals did was take what the Democrats have already done with identity politics, which people like Tim Ryan mm-hmm. knew it was a problem back in 2018. Yep. And so we've got to stop this. And all they did was add Jews. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everybody is judged by groups. We don't judge people as individuals. That's what got us here. And that is the problem in the United States right now with liberalism and the Democratic Party. And its identity politics may not have gone as far as the Jews for all Democrats, but it is mainstream in the Democratic Party because the identity politics has been around since they started going after conservative blacks Back in the late 80s, early 1990s. You saw the, she's the official spokesperson for the White House. You heard her say it. This is not, they didn't walk it back. That's their official position. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio uh, coming up on the top of the hour latest on the search for a speaker. Yeah. For Republicans. Will they? Will we have one today? Will we have one this year? <laughs> will we have one before Thanksgiving? The next president takes office.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.